Welcome in to another episode of the Semi-Pro Fantasy Show. We're here today. It's a week away from the season. Wow, when we started this show back in early July, it felt so long away from the season, but it's finally almost here, and I'm so excited. Um, we got a lot of news from training camp, some holdouts, some contract disputes, some uh, ruffling in the bushes from who's going to start on which team, and then our running back rankings are 13 through 24 after we did 1 through 12 on last week's show, or on uh, Tuesday's show, sorry. So let's start with the news. The first piece of news, get your bag man, Joe Mixon, cha-ching, cha-ching, four-year, $48 million deal for the Bengals running back. He's on contract for the next five years with Cincinnati. What are your thoughts on this deal, Will, and how does it impact his fantasy output? Well, obviously, happy for him. I think this is actually really similar to the Derrick Henry deal, if I'm not mistaken. They both got very similar money. I think it's great for him. Um, one issue is that in like I don't know if this is an issue, but in recent years we've seen once players get their once running backs get their long term contract, they don't have that same like intensity in the following year because they're not like playing for the money. Uh, as it would be in previous years. I'm not worried about Joe Mixon. I don't think that's going to be a problem. He said he wants to end his career as a Bengal with Joe Burrow. Everything seems to be positive there, and what this tells me is he's a part of their long-term plans, and he's going to be involved whenever he's healthy. So I think it's great news if you have Mixon, and I'm not going to move him up my draft boards, but I certainly right. feel much better about drafting him if I do. Especially in Dynasty, too. You can feel better about having yeah. him under contract for the next four or five years. And you could see last year when he, when even though the Bengals were one fifteen I believe or two and fourteen, yeah. Mixon was running so hard because he wanted that contract. He knew the money was on the line, and he got the bag for that. So I'm glad that he got that money. Um, we moved to a different or do another running back whose situation is it started out looking very murky, very different than Mixon's, but it's looking like it's going in the correct direction. Alvin Kamara, one of the most talented running backs in the NFL held out the beginning of this week and the end of last week in hopes of getting a long-term contract. And we even heard some trade rumors out of New Orleans. I think those might have been fake news, but like it's tough to trade a guy like Alvin Kamara. But after the trade rumors came out, two sides calmed down, and I think he returned to practice, and Kamara should be good to go, and they should be getting a contract sometime soon. Yeah, those trade rumors were scary. I saw some report that said the Saints were, quote, open to trading Kamara, and like once I heard that, I basically told myself, until I hear otherwise, I'm not drafting him. Like, like that kind of news made him pretty much undraftable. Right, right. Obviously, it seems that that was overblown, and they're going to work it out, which is good. If they get a contract work out, worked out, or as long as they reach some understanding and he's their running back, I still feel good about drafting him, but it was definitely quite the scare, and I don't think we're quite out of the woods yet. Yeah, like, other than, like, untouchable players in the NFL, I feel like most players, teams, in some case, would be open to trading. So sometimes, like, news like that can be completely overblown. In this situation, I feel like it was. So I don't, like, I didn't rush to be like, oh, I'm not going to take Kamara in the top three rounds. It's like, okay, I'll probably take Clyde Edwards-Lair over him, maybe Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry, but... I still think Alvin Kamara is going to be on the Saints, and now that's basically confirmed, and he should still be in your top five running backs for sure. Yeah. Um, next piece of news, another running back. Leonard Fournette was cut by the Jacksonville Jaguars. We, Jaguars. we had talked about the possibility of this happening. Doug Marone said they couldn't get a fifth rounder, a sixth rounder, even a seventh rounder for his services, a guy who was in a 1,000-yard rusher last year. 
I mean, I didn't think that was surprising. It was like, we, I was ready for that to happen, for them to cut Burnett. I was, I'm very happy I never drafted him because in the past few weeks, I had been rising on him a little bit because I'm like, if he is there starting running back, he could possibly go for a thousand yards. Let's say I get three good weeks at him and then trade him on that value, right? Yeah. So I'm like, maybe I do get Leonard Fournette and I'm very glad I did not draft him. He ended up being signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and will probably be, um, like get, get part of that committee with Ronald Jones for at least the first part of the year. Maybe he wins out the job towards the end. What do you think about that situation in Tampa Bay? Well, what I think is funny is that I think that after signing with Tampa Bay, his ADP might even rise, which is really? weird. Just because I think people are going to see like, oh, he's in this high-powered offense with Tom Brady, and now he's the lead back. I think he's better than Ronald Jones. I think he's better than LaShawn McCoy. I think he's better than Keyshawn Vaughn. But I don't think he's going to get that like workhorse role that he's had in Jacksonville. And people are going to draft him highly just because they don't think that the other guys pose a threat to him. And now he's on one of the league's better offenses. I'm still staying away because I don't, I don't trust that committee. And there's, a, like, I guess with Ronald Jones, I'm fine taking him. But if he was, like, a fourth-round pick, I'm not paying a fourth rounder for right. a potential back in back. Tampa Bay, right? And so, like, if Fournette's ADP doesn't like tank like at least two or three rounds, I'm still not drafting him. Yeah, I got Arnold Jones in the sixth round, and I was planning on starting in week one. But this is basically like they just added Peyton Barber back into that lineup. You know, yeah. last year Jones did have some good weeks. You could, but you could never project when that was going to happen because. Sometimes he had, like, boom weeks when he had, like, 40% of the snapper. Like, you just never could project, and that's going to be the same thing this year. If I had known Fournette was going to be on the team during my draft, I probably would avoid both guys because it's like, you know, when am I going to know to start which one? It's, it's going to take a while. So I, I just think it's a complete avoid for me if I were to draft now and in the next few days before the season starts. Yeah, it's, it's like the Niners last year when there was Tevin Coleman and Matt Breida and Raheem Mostert. And basically what I told myself is I'm going to draft the one that's going latest in drafts. There's Jerry McKinnon, too, before his injury. There's, when, there's so, when there's so many guys and everyone has, like, a chance to be the guy, there's no way I'm spending high draft capital on taking a flyer in that, on that group. You know what I mean? All right. I agree with you. Okay. Next piece of news, the Raiders put Tyrell Williams with a torn labrum on the IR, ending his season before it even started. Lucky for the Raiders... They were prepared for this. They have a lot of depth, young depth, I would say, in their receiving core. I think this opens the door for Hunter Renfro to get some targets. But the guy I really want to talk about, we brought it up a little bit earlier, Brian Edwards. Does Brian Edwards project to be a wide receiver one in the Las Vegas Raiders offense now? I don't know if he's the number one receiver. I think he starts at the X, which is like the prototypical number one. But I still think that he's on one outside I think because Williams is out, they're going to have rugs outside as well and keep yeah. Renfro in the slot because Renfro isn't an outside guy. So I don't think this really changes the outlook for anyone that much except now it means that Renfro is in the lineup. So with Renfro in the lineup, he is a good player. I'm not drafting him, but he's someone to keep an eye on. But I'm still not like rising on the other guys because I don't think their roles even change that much with Williams out. Well, Will, how about some Nelson Aguilar love? No. No? Not at all? No. Can I throw you a little Lynn Bowden Jr.? Wait. 
Do you know what his position is? Uh, Swiss Army Knife? Yeah, so... <laughs> I don't know. Alright, well, let's move on to the next piece of news. John Harbaugh, coach of the Baltimore Ravens, said that J.K. Dobbins' recent second-round pick will have a significant role in this offense. I just I, I just hate when coaches do this. I understand coaches' first thing on their mind isn't, like, fantasy football. But <laughs> can you just be more clear, like, is he going to start after week four and Mark Ingram starts slowing down? Like, it's the same thing with the, um, uh, shoot, what was I going to say? The Bruce Arians thing where he's, like, saying that Rojo's still the starter. We all know Rojo's not the clear starter. Like, he's like, Rojo is my guy. I hate how coaches do this. Every single coach does it. They just talk up every single player. Like, you can't have seven starters at running back. It doesn't work like that. But what do you think Dobbins' role in this offense will be? Well, we know from the start that Ingram is not the pass-catching running back. And that was, that was obvious. Do we think that J.K. Dobbins can be a third down running back? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if his skill set projects for that. I still think they drafted Justice Hill last year to be that satellite back. I still think he can be that. So for now, I think that Hill gets third downs, and then you're going to have Dobbins and Ingram splitting the first and second downs. Is Gus Edwards still on depth chart? Yeah, but he's not getting any... Okay. He's not a pass catcher, and he's not going to be getting carries over Ingram and Dobbins. I mean, he'll get like a couple right. carries, but he's not a, a re- legitimate threat. So when you have Dobbins and Ingram splitting first down and second down carries, it makes me not really want either of them. However, I think that as the year progresses, Dobbins going to get more and more of the workload because I think he's a better player at the moment than Mark Ingram. So he's someone you can draft and stash. But even if he has a significant role from the start, I don't think you're starting him anytime soon. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to the last piece of news. Or two more pieces of news. Sorry, I don't have one in. But, like, Amari Cooper has been dealing with an injury for the past four days. Um, I didn't see the significance of the injury before I put it in because it came in right before we recorded this. But we've been talking about Michael Gallup. Last year when... Amari Cooper is using like the decoy role when he was dealing with an injury. Michael Gallup went off. I think that Michael Gallup can excel as a wide receiver one. I think he has the talent to do so. I think it's it will actually help him if Cooper is on the field, even playing eighty percent, and Gallup is the like he's the number one read for Dak Prescott. But defenses are still going to cue in on Amari Cooper's talent because he's their number one guy, I guess. But what do you think about this situation? I don't know. Um... When I'm like, I love drafting Gallup this year. He might be my favorite player to draft. So I love him even when Cooper and Lamb are on the field. And while I think Cooper's presence does help Gallup, I think his volume would have to increase if Cooper's off the field. So I just think like he's being drafted below his floor. And if Cooper misses time, we're going to see an absolute ceiling from Michael Gallup. Right. So. I'm not super worried about this injury, but I think if Cooper misses the first couple weeks, you're going to see the upside that Michael Gallup can flash. Yeah. Like, I have Gallup as my flex on one of my teams, and I'm so I'm so happy. Like, he starts off a pretty good matchup against the Rams. I think that'll set the tone. And if Cooper is playing at 80%, Gallup could go off week one and be a top 12 receiver in that week. Mm-hmm. Um, last piece of news... Damian Harris uh, had a pinky injury, and he will possibly miss the first week of the se- of the season. 
And Damian Harris have been getting a lot of traction, maybe being the starting back in this, I guess, four-headed monster, you could call it, with Lamar Miller and Sony Michelle. More like a four-headed bunny because it's just not scary at all um, if you're an opposing defense. But with Harris likely to miss week one, can you, like, which running back would you start to if, I mean, would you look to to start, if any? Uh, probably none. Unless we get a definitive answer from Bill Belichick, which we absolutely won't. Because right. he would never, ever divulge that kind of secure information. But... Well, it's actually, it gives him, according to Matt Nagy, a competitive advantage to not define who your starter is before the game. Right. So, I mean, I don't think I'm starting anyone... And, well, I think a pink injury isn't, like, a huge concern. I've always, like, stuck by the philosophy, I don't draft injured players. So, it's a pinky, and he's going to miss, like, a week. But, like, any time a player misses any sort of time, like, someone can, like, take the job, I guess. Like Yeah, especially a dude who's fighting for a spot. Right, so... I'm still like, I'm not like avoiding Damian Harris, but he's becoming a little bit less of a target just because of the injury and because they have a lot of guys that could take the job. Yeah, I have a good waiver question for you. Would you spend your waiver right now for for me, like asking for a friend? You know. You know. Yeah. I have Damian Harris on my team. I picked up Sony Michelle for like Scotty Miller as my last bench spot or whatever. Would you rather have Brian Edwards on your team at this moment or? Damian Harris with the last spot on your bench? Um, Probably Damian Harris, just because you don't need to start him. And so you, you can afford to give it a little bit of time. I think that with Brian Edwards, even if he's the number one guy in that offense, I mean, he's, he's like the number one, but really it's Darren Waller is the right. actual number one. Right, right. So right. even if he's like the number two, number one, per se, I still don't know if you want to start him, even as a flex. So... If his, like, upside is, like, a borderline flex, I would rather keep the guy that has potential to be a starting running back, which is much more valuable. Mm-hmm. On, on a good team right. in the Patriots. Um, all right, let's move into the bulk part of the episode. Running backs 13 through 24. Um, we're also going to be doing our my guys for this episode uh, for running back, for the running back position. So number 13, Green Bay Packers running back Aaron Jones. Um, like for me, there's going to be regression in this offense. Aaron Jones had 19 touchdowns last year. And if he ends as the 13th running back, that's around where you're drafting him. I think you'd be happy with that. You're not wasting a first round pick. It's usually like the top of the second round. I, I just see a regression in the touchdown department and he wasn't as efficient as we've seen in years past. I think the, the pendulum will swing back the other way, and Rodgers will be throwing a little bit more passes. Their defense won't be as strong as it was last year. I just think there's definitely room for aggression for Aaron Jones. What do you think about it? So I came into this like draft season saying, Aaron Jones is going to be overdrafted. I'm not going to take him. And I basically almost ruled him out just because he was so great last year, and I saw so much regression. But he finished last year as RB2, I believe, overall. Like the RB2. And right. now he's being drafted at around wide receiver or running back 13 through 15. And I think it's actually not a bad spot for him. The concern is they drafted A.J. Dillon in the second round, which isn't really a vote of confidence for Aaron Jones. And Dillon projects to be more of a red zone guy. But Jones still is a pretty good pass catcher. 
So if he gets like a thousand rushing yards, five hundred receiving yards, and somewhere between like seven and twelve touchdowns, which would be like major regression in touchdowns, I still think he may be a top ten RB. Yeah. So as long as he's healthy, I still think he's a great play. However, he has shown injury concerns, and that's my that's actually my biggest concern about Aaron Jones is his plethora of injuries that he's had. And how about AJ Dillon's quads, man? I would be scared of those quads if I'm Aaron Jones. Yeah. <laughs> you see the tweet picture or the Twitter picture? Yeah, well, and Chris Sims, who loves his his big butts, was going <laughs> he was going off about AJ Dillon on his podcast. Chris Sims sus. <laughs> All right, um, I don't really have anything else to say about Aaron Jones. I definitely see regression, but again, I agree with you. Like, right place and right time. If you need Aaron Jones to be a running back too, I think that he'll definitely be like he'll be an adequate option for sure. Yeah. Um, let's move on to number fourteen, Austin Eckler. Uh, so Austin Eckler, I, I kind of think I have the same process with you with like Aaron Jones. Like, I was like, okay, Eckler is the sixth running back, and maybe he repeats on that from last year because Melvin Gordon is gone, his offense now. But I broke down the numbers, and Phillip Rivers is like the best quarterback in the league at throwing the ball to running backs, or he does it with the most volume on first and second down. So the, the reason why we're in on guys like Jonathan Taylor is he doesn't have to be the third down back to get receptions when Phillip Rivers is the quarterback. Phillip Rivers has lost all sense of mobility <laughs> that when the pressure – it takes up to three seconds. He has to throw it to the running back. And that's why Austin Eckler was so valuable last year. But with Tyrod Taylor, Tyrod Taylor is much more mobile than Phillip Rivers. Even if he's not a great running quarterback, he's fine. He's not going to throw the ball to Austin Eckler as much. So I have a downtick in targets for Austin Eckler. I also think that Joshua Kelly will have a pretty big role in this offense and maybe get the red zone work more than Austin Eckler, who's a smaller back. So I don't know if we're going to get be getting a lot of those uh, five zone carries, which are very valuable for Austin Eckler. So I was kind of not in on Eckler. I didn't expect him to repeat on number six running back. That seems like a very high expectation. But he's going as the 14th running back in most drafts as well as where we have him ranked. And he's going to be consistent. Like when you're going to get five catches a game in a P- on a half PBR format, like Austin Eckler will be good. Yeah. So I actually. I keep on moving Eckler up my rankings. I had him much lower, actually, heading into draft season for a lot of the same reasons that you did. The thing with Eckler is, A, he had, I think, 500 rushing yards last year, and he was right. the RB6. So even if Joshua Kelly gets a bunch of carries, is he getting more carries than Melvin Gordon did last year? I don't know. No. So I don't actually project Eckler to get much fewer than the 500 yards on the ground that he got last year. And then in the passing game, there's regression, but also Eckler isn't just a checkdown guy. He lines up in yeah. the slot, and he's almost like a slot receiver for this offense. He's like they have Keenan Allen and Eckler as like two, like a double slot receiver combination. He he lines up on the outside too, and with Mike Williams gone, he might you might see him out there too. Like yeah, I might actually thinking about this, especially with Mike Williams out right now, I might have to move up Austin Eckler because. You were talking about, I mean, I have him at 14. I don't think that's too low. But he provides a lot of consistency with that receiving floor. And now that he will get more rushing yards than he did last year, I assume like he'll be in that 700 to 800 range, and he'll probably have around 150, 160 carries. And he's a very efficient back, um, and except for last year. He was 5.2 and 5.5 in his first two years, but 4.2 last year. Um, with an improved offensive line, 
I think that Eckler could provide some consistency. I don't want him to be my running back one. But if I'm getting him as my running back two, and I start my team with, like, Josh Jacobs and Austin Eckler, I'm okay with that. Right, I love that. And then, like, another thing is with injuries, when you're, like, a workhorse running back like Derrick Henry who gets, like, 320 carries a game, those carries, you get you, you take a pounding. A guy like Eckler, he doesn't really take a pounding. So I think the injury risk for him is way lower than other running backs, which not, like, so not, like, he doesn't not only have the weekly security in, like the weekly high floor, but for the season, he projects to be safer as well because he's less likely to get injured. So, the more I think about it, and the more like factors are taken into consideration, Eckler is a really really safe pick. And while I think the upside is capped, I'm not like I think he's like locked in to be between the running backs like ten and sixteen. And having that sort of that sort of security is really valuable. The other thing is, I don't think he can be really game scripted out. Like, yeah. we don't project this offense to be great, but I don't expect them to be like trailing by more than seven to ten points in many games. So if they're within like four or five points, Eckler will be in the game. Right. That's that's the range where I expect the Chargers to be. Like, I feel like the Chargers will be in a lot of games where they're down five going into the fourth quarter. They need to make a run. Eckler will be on the field. Yeah, if they're up by 10, he's on the field. If they're down by 10, he's right. on the field. So yeah. that, that's pretty valuable too. You're right. All right. I think we both convinced ourselves that Austin Eckler isn't as bad as we thought he was. So I'm glad we had this portion of the show yeah. for sure. Um, let's move on to number 15. Uh, a guy that I've been following on a little bit just because of the Adam Gaze news recently, Le'Veon Bell, New York Jets running back. It's just insane to me how we're in 2020, and Le'Veon Bell is one of the most talented running backs in the league still, and he's not even a top 12 fantasy option. I don't think it's anything against his talent. I mean, I guess he was 3.2 a carry last year, but a lot of that was because of the new offense, a new offensive line that wasn't great. But I thought I would be seeing an uptick in Le'Veon Bell and maybe be able to rank him as top 12 running back again, but Adam Gates just doesn't want to give him the ball. At least that's what his coach talk says. What do you think about this? Yeah, you know I'm a Jets fan, and I... I like Le'Veon Bell the player a lot, but at this moment, I'm not drafting him. I don't care yeah. what is how far he falls. If he falls like uh, two rounds, I'll take him. But I need to move him down my rankings. I'm just completely off of him. Yeah. Uh, I just Gase is a really volatile head coach. Bell's gonna get games where like Gase gets pissed off and just yanks him. The offense is. I think it's it's underrated. I think it's better than people think, but. They have Bell, they have Gore, they have LaMichael Pirine, who I think is actually injured right now. But, like, if you're not getting consistent touches and you don't know what you're getting from your running back, I can't take him as an RB15 or 16 or even a yeah. top 20 RB. So, yeah, it hurts me to say it, but Bell is just too scary of a pick for me. And then you have to factor in he's only getting older. I know he says he's in the best condition of his life, but... I, You'd rather pick a guy who's ascending, like an Austin Eckler right. or a Jonathan Taylor, rather than Le'Veon Bell. So it's it's too scary for me, so I'm I'm avoiding him right now. All right, number sixteen, David Johnson. This is, I guess, my my guy. It's kind of more tough for running backs to pick the my guy because we're in this year where it's really crazy. We're in this range of like how the guys who used to be the top ten running backs are not. They're like guys down towards the end of the, like in the running back twos. Like James Conner was a top ten pick. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, former top 10 pick. Todd Gurley, former number one overall pick. Like, 
Melvin Gordon. All these guys were former, like, very good picks. They've moved on to different teams or their situations have changed, and we don't feel as comfortable taking them in the first or second round. David Johnson, to me, won't be a top 10 running back, but he will give you consistent upside because he will be used in an offense that is pressed for targets. Will Fuller is great, but will, but will Will Fuller play 16 games? No. Brandon Cooks is great. Is Brandon Cooks going to be great all year? No, we've seen in years past that he's very volatile. I think he'll be very good for this team. I don't think he plays 16 games either. David Johnson will get at least 250, maybe 300 total touches in his offense. He's not as talented as he used to be, but he is very talented. And Deshaun Watson, although he's not very good at using uh, receiving running backs in the past, it's hard to look look off a running back like David Johnson, especially when your favorite target in DeAndre Hopkins is gone. Yeah, this might actually be my biggest disagreement that I have with you this draft season because I'm also not taking David Johnson. And it's it's tough because we, as fantasy players, we always preach volume. And it seems like the volume is going to be there. And I think that's probably like the thing that scares me the most about fading him is because he might be incredibly inefficient and still be an RB1 or RB2. It could be a Leonard Fournette situation right. from last year. But the thing is, is everyone it wants to put him in the Carlos Hyde role, where last year Carlos Hyde, who is a shell of his former self, still rushed for like 1,000 yards by running up the middle every single play for like 5 yards. Everyone's like, well, at minimum, David Johnson's going to do at least that. Well... Let, let's pump the brakes, because David Johnson between the tackles is not that good. He has not been... He's not as good as Carlos Hyde? No, it's not. It's never been what David Johnson's good at in his career. He's uh, an edge guy. And he, he When he broke out in 2016, it was because of his speed. And he would get that long speed out to the edge, and he'd break those outside runs. Between the tackles, he just really wasn't that great. And while I don't think that he's that much worse than Carlos Hyde, that's not how they're going to use him. And... I still think Duke Johnson has his role in the passing game. David Johnson is definitely not an ascending player. He's definitely on the, the downturn. I like. Could he finish as a top ten RB? Sure. Could he like just completely dud? Yeah. I think his dud risk is just way higher than other guys in the range because we don't know how good he is as a player. The Cardinals clearly did not feel confident in his abilities. Yeah, it was not really a good scheme fit in the offense, but I don't know. Like, there's just a lot of risk factors, and it's it's yeah. scary fading him. But it is what it I, is. I, David Johnson, like, and Deshaun Watson hasn't been great at using pass catching running backs in the back. That's why I'm so off of da- of Duke Johnson. Yeah, but David Johnson, like, when you, when you're down your best receiver, he's been traded to the Cardinals. He has to like the volume is my whole thing. Like, yeah, David Johnson's gonna get volume. Yeah, I agree. He's lost a step for sure. But when you give a guy like that volume, he's going to produce on that volume. So that's my whole argument. Yeah, but there, there is also and some injury I, risk. I, I don't know. I just think they're forced to use him because like this defense isn't great as well. So they're gonna be forced to throw the ball in first and second down too when they're trying to come back. So that's another thing too. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think the reason Deshaun Watson doesn't throw to running backs isn't because he's bad at it. It's just because right. he doesn't need to because he's such a good scrambler. Right. All right, well, let's move on to number 17, James Conner. Uh, another guy who used to be top of his game. I mean, he's still very talented. It's just the huge injury risk here and the fact that there's four guys in this offense. I think that 
I need to move James Conner up, though, ahead of Le'Veon Bell. Yeah. Um, because I, I'm kind of bought into this idea that the Steelers have cha- not completely changed their, like, um, motto, but their identity this year is going to be, like, gro- like, ground and pound, in my opinion. They have one of the top five defenses in the league, and... I don't think they want to put Ben Roethlisberger in situations where he's going to have to sling the ball down the field. He's 38 years old. He's coming off a shoulder injury. He didn't play at all last season. Their receiving core is not as good as it used to be. They have a lot of running backs who are none of them are as good as Le'Veon Bell was, but they all excel very well in their roles. You have younger guys like McFarlane, Connor. I mean McFarlane, Snell, and Samuel who they're not going to be the starter, but they will help this offense. They will have a role, and I think this is good, definitely going to be a team that will run the ball. 25 times a game, maybe 30 times a game, and rely on their defense to win games. And I think it's going to work. And I think if James Conner is going to get 15, 16, maybe even 17 carries a game and three to four targets, you're going to be happy with your output. Yeah, well, the thing about Conner is he's a better pass catcher than people give him credit for. That's one thing. Uh, they tried to make Conner the one, like the guy, the first and second time running back, and then make Jalen Samuels a third down running back last year. And Samuels was just absolutely horrible. So that didn't work. And Connor ended up getting a lot of third down carries. McFarland, who I think is a promising rookie, he's mostly a speedster. He's he, like they're in the fastest four four or fastest forty time at a four four of any running backs. So, but is he going to be like a workhorse? No. Connor is going to get the carries, and we've seen throughout his career when Connor's on the field, he's a top twelve RB, like locked right. in, just because he's running behind one of the best offensive lines in football. Still, the carries are always there. The receptions aren't like McCaffrey level, but they're they're solid, and the offense besides last year is usually pretty good. So he gets touchdowns too. So the injury risk is very real, and that's a concern. But if I get ten healthy weeks out of James Conner, yeah, he he pays off his ADP. And the other thing is, like, I just took him in my fifth round. Like, and uh, you don't need him. To play 16 weeks, if you're taking him in the fifth round, I, I paired him with McCaffrey. I do not need 16 great weeks out of Connor if I want him to be valuable to my team. I need, like you were saying, 10 weeks. And if he gets hurt for six, fine, I'll pick up somebody else to fill that in. But James Connor, when he's on the field, he will be great. Um, uh, is there anything you want to say else about James Connor? That's about it. All right, let's move on to number 18, Todd Gurley. It's crazy how fast I have moved off of Todd Gurley. I don't know if you've updated your rankings recently, but I am so much like lower on Todd Gurley than you. And it's crazy because I took him in a mock draft a month ago when we did a mock draft together over Mike Evans. Like this was a dude who I was like, he can. It's it's a it's kind of like the same um, argument with David Johnson, and I don't understand why I'm like high on David Johnson and just completely off Gurley. Like the thing with Gurley is. There's okay, maybe it's because there's just much better options in that Atlanta offense. Um, but Gurley is completely not as talented as it used to be, and I just I I don't see myself ever taking Todd Gurley. It's like every year you have those guys you're like, okay, if he's good, so what? I missed out on it. It's fine. Like I was never gonna take him in the first place. That's like who Todd Gurley is for me right now. Yeah, I I like obviously I feel the same way about David Johnson, but for Todd Gurley, it's like. The reason I was high on him before was there was no one else behind him to take carries. And there still isn't. But is it really smart to draft a player simply because the backups behind him suck? Like, I don't know. I don't think that's 
wise drafting because it doesn't mean that he's going to be good when he's on the field. This team is going to throw the ball so freaking yeah. much. Uh, we saw like Julio Jones is going to be a target monster. Calvin Ridley is going to be a target monster. Hayden Hurst, boy. Hayden Hurst has been amazing during training camp so far. He's going to be an every down tight end. His chemistry with Matt Ryan is reportedly pretty good right now. So it's going to be those three guys in the passing game. Ru- Russell Gage is actually not practices. bad. Huh? <laughs> two, the chemistry is very good after their two padded practices. They look good. That's all I'm saying. So I just think the the volume is going to be lower than in previous years. The team is going to mostly throw the ball and then run the ball as like a change of pace sort of. We saw in when Gurley was in uh, L.A., what they would do is they would run the ball a bunch with Gurley and then pass the ball to like get teams off of Gurley per se, like to like mix it up, like the play action. I don't think that's what they're doing in Atlanta. They're just going to throw the ball a bunch and then run the ball occasionally on first and second down. So Gurley isn't going to have those defenses guessing whether he's getting the ball or not. They're going to know when he's going to get the ball, and they're going to attack him. And I just don't think he's yeah. good enough to overcome that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to number 19, uh, Jonathan Taylor. Uh, why don't you uh, take this one? Because you were the one who convinced me. Like I was off Jonathan Taylor earlier in the year, but you were like, your argument got me to buy into Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, so we haven't actually talked about him in a while. It's been a, it's been a minute since we've discussed Jonathan Taylor, and he's my my guy at running back still, just because he hasn't like he's risen in rankings. He like when I first introduced him on the podcast, he was maybe a sixth round pick. I think that's where he was, and now he's a f- mid fourth round pick. I thought he'd end up being higher still, just because I think from the get go he's going to be the one A to Marlon Max one B at minimum, and he's just a so much better player than Marlon Mack. Yeah. And this Colts offensive line is, in my opinion, the best in the NFL, and it's not actually that close. Um, Quentin Nelson is the best run-blocking guard in the NFL. Ryan Kelly is a great run-blocker. Like, the offensive line is good in pass protection. They really excel at run-blocking. Marlon Mack is not that good of a player. He's been benefiting from just an amazing offensive line in recent years and I'm just going to keep saying like Jonathan Taylor in my opinion like Edward Slayer is a great running back and he's definitely the most versatile but I think Jonathan Taylor is the best like running back in this draft class by a lot and the upside is just enormous for Jonathan Taylor this year he can be a top five RB yeah Okay, so I just want to... It's another question asking for a friend. I wanted to start Ronald Jones week one because I'm like, okay, Taylor's probably not going to be the like lead, lead back like I want my second running back to be. But after this Fournette news, I don't feel comfortable tra- like starting Ronald Jones. And I have Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor on my roster. And I'm deciding between the two of them to start at running back two. Like, what is your advice for that, Will? Um, if, if you're going to start one of them week one... I think it's Taylor. Preferably, you don't want to start either one until you like see what they're going to do. But they're going against Jacksonville, who is a very bad overall defense and run defense. I project the Colts to like just dominate this game. And if they are, they're going to be in positive game scripts. And 
I think that they want to keep Marlon Mack healthy and yeah. just like if they're getting Jonathan Taylor touches, even if it's in a blowout, the more touches he gets, the more comfortable he's going to be in the NFL. So I think if it blows out and they're running the ball every single play, it's going to be Taylor getting the carries. So I think he's the better pick out of the two for week one. All right, so thank you for that. I had Mac in my lineup. It's going to be tough for me to figure it out. It's, I'm going to go back and forth. Yeah. We'll see. Um, number 20, Chris Carson. I think this guy should probably be ranked ahead of uh, ahead of Le'Veon Bell, too, at this point. Like, I think we were kind of low on Chris Carson because of the injury news at the beginning of the year. But Chris Carson is on an offense that wants to run the ball. And he's been very productive in the past two years. Like, I feel like we always sleep on him, and then he always ends up as a top 12 running back because he's just a consistent running back in a decent offense. Like, that's what you want when you're drafting a guy like him. Yeah, Carson in recent years has always been one of those players where I'm like, I'm not going to take him. If he goes off, he goes off, and it is what it is. This year, I don't know. Like, do I think he's the lead back? Yeah. Do I, am I concerned they brought in Carlos Hyde? Yeah, because, like, why would they do that if they're not going to give him at least a few carries every game? And, well, I think it's a run-first offense. I'm just, like, waiting for them to, like, just unleash Russell Wilson. It'll never happen. Nev- it, like, <laughs> but once it does happen, Carson's value is going to be, like, nothing. And, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. You know what I mean? It's like... Really? I don't know about that because he got a lot of targets last year, too. It's possible. I think he is a better pass catcher than the other guys they have on the roster. I think McKissick's not there anymore. Pro size, I don't think it's there anymore. I'm not sure where he is now. So there's upside for Carson. He's also had injury concerns in the past. Uh, And he tore his ACL. He's had other hamstring issues, too. So health is an issue. I'm waiting for them to unleash Mr. Unlimited, as he called himself. Wait, is that what Russell Wilson called himself? Did you, see, did you see the video? It was, like, really cringy. He's just like... Oh, um, yes, um, I did. Um, yes, I did. Um, I did. Yes. <laughs> so, there is that. I mean, I like drafting players on good offenses, and that's, for me, like, the volume. It's a good offense. So, Carson's a good pick. I definitely am going to move him above uh, guys like Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson and Todd Gurley. But I still have a guy like Jonathan Taylor over him because... I think the ceiling for Jonathan Taylor is just massive. Yeah, okay, I just want to play a real quick game with you. Um, I like to do this thing called an age check, and we were talking <laughs> about CJ Procise, and it's like, okay, I don't understand why Pete Carroll does this with players. Like, CJ Procise was never good. He could never play 16 games, but Pete Carroll kept him on the team season after season. Like, did the same thing with J.D. McKissick. I guess McKissick was a little bit better, but I just want you to guess CJ Procise's age. His age? Yes. It's probably like 29. 29. See, I thought he'd be pretty old too. CJ Pro Size is 26. No way. Doesn't it feel like he's been on the Seahawks forever? Yeah, that's why. Just soaking up unnecessary targets. All right, let's do another age check. Carlos Hyde. Uh, 50. <laughs> <laughs> Actual, what do you think? Actually, age check. Legitimately, um, I think he, I'm, I shouldn't be like taking this long, but I think he spent like four years in San Francisco two years elsewhere, so I'd say he's probably, like, 28. Yeah, 29. Yeah. All right, so you were closer on that one. I would have said, like, somewhere in the 30s, but the CJ Process one is very funny. Let's move on to number 21, Melvin Gordon. Got traded from – or not traded. Got signed by the Broncos in free agency after he couldn't work a deal with the Chargers. 
complete like mishap on his part because he could have gotten ten million dollars with a better offense. I mean, not maybe not a better offense, but like somewhere else he would rather be. I don't know. He just said it like that. Um, now he's in somewhat of a committee. I think this is going to be a very run-heavy offense, but they have three running backs that are all decent and will all get touches. So Melvin Gordon will be the lead back on this team, but will he have enough volume to be a top 15 back? Probably not, so I have him down pretty low. Yeah, so this is actually a situation where I've just like, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it because I came into the offseason saying, okay, they're going to be run-heavy, but they have a lot of running backs. And what I'm realizing now is, Pat Shermer, who's their new offensive coordinator, I believe, he does not like to run the ball. He's a very pass-happy guy. And if he ends up liking Drew Locke and trusting him, they could be throwing the ball a lot more than we think they're going to throw the ball. Mm-hmm. And Melvin Gordon is a good pass-catching running back. He's the best pass-catcher out of the running backs on this team, which makes me like him a little more. But I think for any of these Denver guys, the volume isn't really going to be there. I think it's, it's so shared between all the guys. The only way you're drafting any of them is if you just really believe in the offense as a whole. So if you think this offense is going to be top 10, top 12 in the NFL, take Melvin Gordon, take Cortland Sutton, take Drew Locke if you want. But right. if you think it's more league average offense, then I just don't see the, the high volume to provide upside for really any of the guys on the offense. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't really think we need to spend much time on Melvin Gordon. I gave my take. I Again, this is kind of like a Todd Gurley type player. Maybe it's because I'm kind of salty with Melvin Gordon for not signing a deal and staying with us. But I, I just don't see him being on any of my teams. I also don't see like taking running backs in this range. Like if like I take Jonathan Taylor over Melvin Gordon 10 times out of 10. Same thing with Chris Carson. So let's move on to 22, David Montgomery. This was a guy who I had pretty lot higher until like the injury news came out. Because, you know, your draft, it's it's really tough to draft a guy like David Montgomery. You're drafting him to start in your lineup, and you don't know if he's going to be in your lineup for the next three weeks. And, like, we've seen in the past, he, it's tough for him to get going. He's very talented, but it's, for some reason his offense just moves slow. So if, like, he comes off the injury and has two bad weeks, you don't want him on your team. Like, if he doesn't have a good week until week six, where are you with that? Two and four or whatever? Like, I really like David Montgomery as a talent. I think there's a lot of volume. He could end the season with 250 carries, but you might not be happy with what you get. So it's where are you go with David Montgomery now. It's so tough. He's, he has gone from what my favorite running back value to someone I'm not drafting. Because right. like, First of all, I don't draft injured players. And second of all, I think the injury he has is a soft tissue injury, which is uh, more likely to have re-injury risk. So... Even if he only misses three weeks, only misses three weeks, and you get him week four, there's still elevated injury risk for the entire rest of the season. So it would be like it's very real that you miss more than those three weeks. And if you're getting eight weeks out of a guy who is not involved very much in the passing game, it's almost like why not draft Mark Ingram here? It's like the same player but without the injury. So, mm-hmm. I just, like, he's not on a good offense, he's injured, and it has high re-injury risk, and it's just too much for me to take, even at his steadily declining ADP. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't have anything else to say about David Montgomery. Just looking at our list, we don't have Mark Ingram on our list. I, I've been fading him a lot lately because of the J.K. Dobbins news. 
Um, it, again, just another guy I'm just not going to have on my team. Like, I don't see a lot of upside with him. I see a lot more downside than I do upside. He could be good for the first four weeks because the Ravens' offense is very good. But I think in the long run, J.K. Dobbins will be the starter towards the end of this year. I think that he has a lot more uh, variety of talent, more like more assets to his game. Maybe Mark Ingram's a better rusher, but J.K. Dobbins is a much better pass catcher. Yeah, I'm only, um, I'm, Is there anything you want to touch on real quick with Mark yeah. Ingram, even though he's not on our list? Thing is, like, I'm only drafting Mark Ingram if I go receiver heavy in the early rounds. I just need someone I have to right. put in my like my week one, week two lineups as I try to find yeah. those waiver running backs to, or like make trades to like bolster running back depth. But unless I need to start in week one, I'm not drafting him. Yeah, all right. So let's move on to 23. And I know we, I already had my my guy. And if we're not allowed to have two, that's fine. <laughs> but Cam Akers, I was on this pretty early. Um, like when he was drafted, I really liked him coming out of college out of Florida State. And I was like, this dude's going to start for the Rams. And if you want the starting running back for the Rams, you're going to be pretty happy with his fantasy output. And he went in the second round. Which is very high draft capital. That was their first. I think that was their first overall pick too. Yeah. For the Rams, like, and they had a lot of like holes that they need to address, and they picked Cam Akers. Um, but it's like Daryl Henderson is there too. I guess Malcolm Brown is still there. Um, mm-hmm. So is Cam Akers actually going to be the starter? And then we've gotten all this news from Sean McVay that Cam Akers is looking at the best back in camp. So maybe Cam Akers doesn't start the year as like the number as like top twelve running back, but. Cam Akers is going to be the starter on this team. Like, why would they draft him to replace Todd Gurley in the second round and him not become the starter? He's the most talented back on this team, in my opinion. He can do it all. He's he's very raw. Like, I think he, it could be like a little Miles Sanders effect where for the first few weeks of the season, he's not really understanding the NFL game and trying to bounce everything outside and get extra yards, which in result would end up in him getting negative yards. But I think he matures as the season goes along. He's playing in a very good system, trustworthy offense with Sean McVay, and I think Cam Akers could have a very good year. Yeah, I my concern is one the offensive line is still really bad, and I'm shocked they didn't make like any sort of moves to bolster that because they're getting really old at this point, and last year they were not good. The second thing is like I don't know how to like put this, but the Rams do a very zone heavy run scheme, and they fall like they complement that with play action. And a zone run scheme involves a running back that is very intelligent and, like, finds all the holes. And it requires a very deep understanding of the, the NFL game and, and run blocking schemes as a whole. I don't know if Akers has that or not, but the, like, Gurley is very athletic. But he's also very intelligent as a runner. And I think that McVeigh is going to give the edge to guys that have been in his system and in his scheme first. So while Akers looks great, once it comes to like actually playing other teams, I'm nervous about whether he's gonna be able to find those holes and be an intelligent running back. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think for me it's just like, okay, you're right about the scheme, but do I trust Daryl Henderson in this scheme? No, he couldn't do anything yeah, last no. year. Maybe he's a, a year in it. Like maybe Malcolm Brown is a starting running back week one. Like I mean, we saw that last year. He came out and had the veteran carry to start and everybody freaked out but maybe he does that again maybe he's the guy who's like McVay's trusts the most and they need to win the first few weeks maybe they go with Malcolm Brown who knows but I think talent wins out Cam Akers is just the most talented back the ceiling is so high and McVay is such a smart coach they have a bunch of smart coaches on the staff I think that they will realize that he is the most talented player make the scheme fit around him and I think he will learn it pretty quickly and I, I just think Cam Akers talent 
will win out and the opportunity is too good for him to be less than like a top 18 running back like yeah. again and you're taking him in like the back of the fifth round exactly. yeah I, so, I, I like his ADP that's one reason why I've actually ended up with him on a few of my mock draft teams not for this podcast but in general because ADP in my opinion is still too low but we've seen that McVeigh has said that he looked at what San Francisco did last year and they kind of rode the hot hand and that's what he wants to do this year so like going into last year we looked at San Francisco and we said okay Who's the most talented running back? And we said, I don't know, Tevin Coleman. We said Matt Breida. We said Jarek McKinnon. No one said Raheem Mostert. So I think that when there's a, a ride thought hand approach, my instinct is to take the guy that's going latest, which I don't, I'm not taking Malcolm Brown because Malcolm Brown's slow and he's an oaf. But uh, <laughs> because Henderson's going much later than Akers, I lean towards taking Henderson and taking someone else in the Akers range. And... While I have Akers ahead of some of the running backs in the range where he's going, where he's being drafted is where I like to take receivers. Especially, mm-hmm. like, I often find myself with a choice between Akers and Michael Gallup. And while I like Akers as a running back a lot compared to other running backs, in that range, I, pref- I much prefer the receivers. So it's it's more of an opportunity cost thing versus me like, actually hating Akers, the player, and the opportunity. All right, let's move on to number 24, Kareem Hunt. Uh, I, I think Kareem Hunt is just a very safe option. Like, I think he probably finishes the season as the running back 22, 23, 24, like, and that's where you're drafting him. That's where we have him ranked. So, like, if you need a – this is also like a plug-and-play guy. Let's say you have Jonathan Taylor on your team. I think if you draft Kareem Hunt, he can start the first few weeks for you. He's, like, even with Nick Chubb there, he only scored under 10 points one time, and he's very consistent. Like, Kareem Hunt is just a, a vote of consistency – and you're not going to be mad about what you get. You're not going to be very happy if Nick Chubb is there. Like, he's not going to boom. He always has touchdown upside. He always has the chance to get six or seven catches if he's targeted that much. So I think, like, he's very consistent. And if Nick Chubb does go down, you're going to be very happy with him. You're going to have a top five running back. He's going to win you the league, straight up. Right, right. So, yeah, if there's anything you have to say about Kareem Yeah, it's not that much. I've, we've talked about him before. He has a flex floor with his receiving game. They put him in a slot a pretty good amount. Um, I think last year, I don't think he got over five carries in any of the games he was in, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he, he was still like the RB19 over the final eight weeks of the season. So he doesn't need the carries to be productive. And if he does get the carries, watch out. Yeah. All right, well, before we end the show, is there any honorable mentions? Uh, you said DeAndre Swift. If you want to talk about DeAndre Swift a little bit, I think we've talked about him in the past. Um, why don't you talk about DeAndre Swift while I look for some other honorable mentions? Yeah, I think, I think he's the only... like. The reason I like DeAndre Swift is just because I think he has a very realistic chance to be the number one option in Detroit. I think the offense Ooh. is being underrated as a whole. The offensive line is has has good players but has some weaknesses too. Yeah. But on Johnson, I drafted him last year, I think, in the third round, and I did it did not work out for me. I was super high on the talent, but he has injury concerns, and he just he just hasn't really put it together in the, in the NFL yet. And Swift, I wasn't he wasn't my favorite running back in this draft class, but I could certainly be wrong about him. And they drafted him in the second round for a reason, and I think they plan to use him. So. I think he's someone you can definitely take a shot on in this range. 
Yeah, so we've talked about Damian Harris. I don't think we have anything else to say about him. Um, Tony Gibson, we know you know the story with him. If you want to take a late round flyer on him, be my guest. I, I like that as a late round flyer. J.K. Dobbins, we know the story with that. Um, one guy we need to talk about that we probably should have covered earlier, Raquel Armstead and the Jaguars' backfield. Um, I might have said that wrong. Maybe it's Raquel Armstead, whatever. Um, we need to talk about the disparity between Armstead and Chris Thompson. What do you think the Jaguars' backfield is going to look like? And Armstead's going in like the eighth round. Do you feel comfortable taking him? Absolutely not. I'm not taking Raquel Armstead. Um, I don't think he's that good of a player, for one. And two, he's not going to get any third down work whatsoever. It's going to be Chris mm-hmm. Thompson. I think Chris Thompson actually has some value. Um, he's someone where I compare him to, kind of to Tariq Cohen in terms of their, their role in their offense. They're not going to get carries, but they're going to be involved in the passing game. They can play in the slot. So I think if I'm taking anyone on Jacksonville, it's uh, Chris Thompson. But like, do I want to pay any sort of draft capital for a player that's going to get some of the first and second down workload on a passing-centric offense that's going to be trailing a lot. Right. No. Yeah. Okay, so the, just the last thing I want to say about Chris Thompson before we end it, I agree with you. I think that, again, I might try to actually look to trade for Chris Thompson because I think if you want to serve Chris Thompson for the first few weeks while you're trying to patch it together, that's not a bad option. Like, mm-hmm. last year when Chris Thompson was with Washington, he couldn't stay on the field, but when he was on the field for like the four or five games, he was very consistent. When he plays, you're going to be happy with your outlook, especially if you have guys who you're relying on outside of him. So, yeah, I'm so fine with, like, taking an anthem pick with Chris, with Chris Thompson or trading for him with, like, one of your bench players because he's going to give you a first few weeks that are pretty good and you're not going to be mad about it. Yeah. All right, well, thank you guys for watching. That's it for the show. We're going to try to um, move to a – or I guess we're going to stay with two shows next week um, when the season starts and we will be – Focusing on the actual news with the actual season. It's going to be very cool. We've been going through lineups and like waivers and stuff like that. Uh, but we'll see you next week. So thank you guys for watching. Goodbye.